0: Let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 will be in verse 22 and 27, and I'll get there in a few moments. But I do want to just reveal a little bit. Uh, my wife Priscilla is right down here in the front. She participated with me in the presentation this morning. Uh, we're excited to uh, be with you today to be able to present uh, the ministry of Baptist Children's Home. If you miss Sunday school... Uh, That was our uh, presentation. I don't know if it's recorded or not. You can get that. But it's our privilege to be able to work with them. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Dan for the privilege this morning to be able to be in his well, not really your pulpit because that's probably down there. But anyway, to be in the pulpit this morning and to be able to preach what a privilege that is and a privilege to meet you this morning. Uh, I have enjoyed getting to know uh, Pastor Dan through our phone conversations, meeting him briefly at, after one of the uh, meetings, and just uh, appreciate uh, his work and his ministry that he's going to have with BCH. As I mentioned, we are Priscilla and Wayne Manego. Uh, we are traveling representatives. We're almost out every single week presenting the ministry of Baptist Children's Home. Uh, I can't, don't have time to go into all the history, but I was saved through the ministry as a teenager. I was not in the home, but the children in the home at the time reached me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were concerned about a student that went to school with them and they reached me. Uh, Through that, I pastored uh, 43 years, just retired one year ago this month and uh, our goal was to go into retirement, enjoy getting to know our grandchildren a whole lot more, spending more time with them. Uh, But also, Baptist Children's Home had contacted us through a uh, long process, this kind of goes back a number of years. You know, when you retire, would you consider? And they asked us if we would. And so we're out traveling with them. We do work part-time in the office, so we can be aware of what's going on with the various changes and stuff. So we do put a few hours in during the week, but our ministry is basically uh, during the weekends. Uh, the home office is located in Valparaiso, Indiana, as was mentioned, and our ministry has been there since 1956 and we're a Christian-based non-profit ministry that cares for children, both locally and internationally, and that is uh, one of the slides we shared this morning. We're currently ministering to around 800 children, uh, internationally and locally. Uh, We are in three particular countries, Uh, excuse me, we are in seven different countries and the United States of America, and I jumped ahead of myself, we have three pillars of our ministry, are three particular branches to our ministry, and that is what's called the Homes of Compassion, which is our United States ministry, and then we have the Hearts of Compassion, which is the overseas ministry, and, and there are cards in the back that I would encourage you to pick up. Priscilla talked to these, about these this morning. We do have some that are a little bit smaller for children, but if you can't support them financially, you can pray for these children. These are real children with real needs. And I just encourage you to stop by, pick one of these up. All the information you need to know is in the back of that card. I just encourage you to pick that up. We have the privilege of ministering, as we said, to 800 children uh, throughout the world. And what a privilege it is to minister to them. The Children's Home has played a tremendous role in our lives. It's been a part of our lives since uh, day one, getting married. And so we appreciate it very much. And it's just a privilege to be able to travel with them to be able to represent it. Well, enough for that, I want to get in to the word of God this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, so I want to look at two particular verses. One is up on the screen. The other one I'll read for you is James chapter one. Looking at verse 22. And in James one, it tells us there, be doers of the word. You know this passage. And not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, that's verse 27, the one up on the screen. Before God the Father is this, notice this, two things, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In America, we can find Bibles just about everywhere. And as I mentioned, we have the privilege of traveling every weekend. I'm to the point where I don't ask her where we're gonna be anymore. I just say, where are we gonna be sleeping this weekend? Because I, I can't keep track of all the places she gets, all the scheduling and all that. So I want to know where am I sleeping next weekend, where are we are going to be? And a lot of times we're in different hotels all throughout the United States of America. And you know, you used to find Gideon Bibles in every hotel room. That isn't the case anymore. Uh, you can barely find them. If you can, they're usually hidden in a drawer somewhere. But, it, but it's amazing how things have changed. And also, Bibles are available in all shapes and all kinds of sizes. Some are paper-bound, others are leather-bound, and you know there are different ways that they put them together. Uh, we are gone every weekend, so in our home church, we're not there on Sundays, and our pastor understands that and understands the ministry of the Baptist Children's Home, but we are there every Wednesday night. We do worship with a particular group of people on, on Wednesday night. And I was talking to the 11-year-old son of our pastor. And as I was chatting with him, I noticed that his Bible was unique. It had like a sheen to it. I'd never seen that before. I, I said, tell me about your Bible that you got there. He says, it is a waterproof Bible. I said, I've never seen a waterproof Bible. Let me see that. So he gave it up to me, and I was able to touch it, and the pages are kind of a plastic coating on every page. And I thought that's, and I said, where did you get that? He said, at our Christian camp here in Hillsboro, Indiana, when I was there, he said, I realized that you know a lot of times it gets damp at night and stuff, and you take your real Bible, and it just kind of gets kind of worn real quickly. So I picked up this waterproof Bible, and I said, Waterproof Bible? I, I said, You know what? I said, We're right across in the kitchen right now. I said, How about you and I go over there, fill the sink, and let's dunk that baby and see if it really works? <laughs> now, it's an 11 year old kid, and I knew he'd look at me kind of strange. I said, I'm just teasing. We won't do that. But I've never seen a waterproof Bible, but we have Bibles. Bibles are available in all you know, sizes, shapes, and everything. But you know what's important? Just having a Bible doesn't really change anything. When I was a teen, I had a Bible. I couldn't understand it. I tried to read it. Couldn't understand what it was saying at all. And I was searching as a teenager for the answers to life. And it was through the children, young people at the Baptist Children's Home, who began to reach out to me and show me what a Christian really was that I got interested in really sitting down and studying the Word of God for myself. Uh, According to one source, there's about 100 million different Bibles that are printed annually, and there's an estimated 6 billion total Bibles in the world, and most everyone here today has one with them. As I was putting this together a few months ago, and Getting ready to go around and travel. I looked up on the shelf there in our office in Valparaiso, in, in our home, and I noticed about 11 or 12 different Bibles that we've had over the years. Some I've worn out, some I've changed translations and other things. And I thought, you know, we are so privileged to have the Word of God. But yet, having the Word of God doesn't change anything. It, it's important that we open the Word, it's important that we study the Word. And it's also vitally important we know the author of the word. We know Jesus Christ as our personal savior. Today in America, we have the Bible available more than any time in history, yet millions of people still don't understand the blessing that the Bible has to offer. The Bible is a a remarkable book. It's a book that's filled with all kinds of blessing. In fact, it promises to us it promises to give us comfort in times that we need comfort. It promises to give us strength in times that we need strength. It promises us hope. It gives us wisdom for decisions we need to make. It also provides for us in joy and also power and purpose for living. There's so much we can gain from the Word of God. When, when I was saved, I was saved as a teenager. I was about 16, 17 years of age. told a little bit about that story this morning. But I went off to Bible college uh, at 20-some years old, I guess 21, folks, I didn't know much about the Bible at all. And I find myself in classes with girls like my wife, who grew up from the nursery on up in college. Knew all the people, knew all the st- people in the Bible, knew how they related to one another. That was all somewhat new to me. And I found myself in classes, taking Bible college courses, trying to learn the scripture, to be able to pass various tests to get by. And I'm going to tell you one thing that does not work, don't try it. And that is, through osmosis, you can't get the word of God. I try. Now what that means is, I took the Bible and I put it under my pillow at night and I slept on it. And I hope through osmosis it would seek into my brain and I get to know more of the word. It doesn't work that way. You've got to study it. You've got to get to know it. You've got to put time in it. And as a pastor, I just retired after 43 years of being in the pastor. When I was a young pastor, uh, we were in a growing ministry. I had two assistant pastors. We were in a building program. God bless you when you're going through those things. I understand what those are like. Went through a building program, had five young children at the time, and I was very busy. And I was telling my people how important it was to be in the Word of God. But there was one thing missing in my life they didn't know, but I knew. I wasn't taking time to study it personally. I was studying hard to teach them and to teach the word of God and to preach to them. Some say that's enough, but I wasn't getting anything for myself. And I got convicted of that. And and so what I did is I set an alarm every morning at 2 a.m. in the morning. You say, why 2 a.m.? The phone's not ringing. The kids don't need you. Assistant pastors don't need you. Building program people don't need you. And I was all alone at two in the morning. And I set the alarm, got up at two and stayed up from two to three in the morning just to study the word of God myself and to spend time in prayer. And that became a habit all throughout my ministry. My wife will attest to you that when two o'clock comes around, no alarm needs to go off anymore. I just automatically wake up around two or three o'clock in the morning. And I'm awake, I get up, usually go to the kitchen table and I spend time alone with God. That's not so important now because I'm retired and have a little bit more time on my hands, but it's such a part of my life that's a habit. And I encourage you to be in the Word of God on a daily basis. When it tells us in the Word of God that we need to be doers of the Word, we need to know what it says. We need to spend time in it. We need to spend time in the Word of God. And so it's important that we understand the command that we have in James James 1.22 is that we must be a doer of the word. In order to be a doer, you've got to know what the word of God says. You've got to spend time in it. And yeah, you got it there with you and you carry it with you to church. I understand that. But do you really take time to study it for yourselves, individually and personally? And maybe you're like me as a young pastor. I'm just too busy. I don't have time. to. Be no, that, that wasn't an excuse. And God convicted me of that. I'm glad he did. But I trust you take time to be in the word of God every single day. But also, it's not so important that we understand the command to be a doer, but also it's important that we understand that if we don't do it, we're going to end up deceiving ourselves. Again, notice what it says. Be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now again, not hearers only, it's important to understand they didn't have the Word of God like we have it today. We have it in printed format, we have it in all kinds of translations, you have it on your phones, you have it on your iPads, we have it all over the place for us, and, and yet it's important that we not just be, uh, we, we can't just be hearers only. They would sit in a group like us and they would hear the Word of God. And they'd have to listen to hear hear what's going on and take it in for themselves and make application. We can take it home, we can read it, we can study it, but do we? Do we take the time to be in the word of God like we should? And then it says, if not, we're deceiving our own selves. In other words, we're getting to a place where we think we have favor with God when we really don't because we're not in his word like we ought to be. Be a student of the word of God. Spend time in it on a daily basis. And then we think, what are we to obey? What's important for us to obey? Well, the scripture says that we're to obey, be doers of the word. We're to be in the word of God. Again, we take time to do it. Do we take time to study it? Do we take time to read it? Do we take time to understand what's going on in the particular text? Are we satisfied just hearing what the preacher has to say or just hearing what our Sunday school teacher has to say or do we spend time every single day in the word of God? It's not an option for us to obey what we want to obey, but we must be willing to obey God's word in its entirety. That means we must know what it says to be in it. And then the warning there is that we're not to be hearers only. You must first be a hearer before you can ever become a doer. So that starts with the fact, do you know Christ as your savior? As a teenager, remember I said I was reading the Bible, but I wasn't getting anything out of it because I didn't know the author. I'd never had a personal relationship with Christ as my Savior, but seeing the testimony of the children, I was, young people I was in school with who knew Christ as their Savior, they were shining their light in my darkness every single day. I went to school with them. They didn't talk like me. They didn't act like me. They didn't respond like me. They were different, and that was appealing to me as a young person. They had something I didn't have. And what I found out, it was Jesus Christ in my life. So in order to be a doer of the word, we start out by being a hearer, and then we get to know the author of the book. And once I knew Christ as my savior, it's amazing how the word of God began to open up. And I began to study. When I was saved as a teenager, my senior year in high school, I went to a small rural uh, community school in Coutts, and I was in athletics even with my height and all that, but I, I was a catcher in our varsity baseball team, and I broke my shoulder I broke my left shoulder. They put me out in right field one time, and I was playing the outfield, and there was a track, long story. I forgot the track was there, reached out and threw my hand to protect my face, didn't hurt my face, and broke my shoulder. And so I was laid up for my senior year getting repaired on my shoulder. It was during that time that Pastor Jerry Titus, the one who led me to the Lord, says, you know what, the hospital's 10 miles away. Why don't you ride with me tomorrow, and we'll go visit some patients. nothing better to do, why not? So I'd ride with him, and what he started to do was disciple me. He started pouring his life. If he told me what he was going to do, it probably would have scared me to death. But he started pouring his life into me. And those were teaching times. And he said, you know what, this is uh, Tuesday on Friday, I need to go back. How about doing it again? But in the meantime, why don't you read John chapter 1, write down any question. I wasn't smart enough to realize what he was doing. He was teaching me scripture. And so I would read John chapter 1. I'd write out all my questions. I would ask him, and he would answer question after question that I had. He was pouring the word of God into me to be a student of the word. You must first be a hearer before you can ever become a doer. And so it's important for us to spend time in the word of God. Twofold process, be a hearer, then be a doer, so we don't deceive our own selves. But I want to get to the second part of that, and that is the example, our, I can say here, how, how much... Uh, you would be changed if you would be willing to obey God's word. But we've got to be able to get in it to be able to obey it and know it. What's the example then of being a doer? Well, notice again verse 27 real quickly. It says to us, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Religion. That's an important thing. When we talking about religion, it talks about a religion that is two things. It says, number one, it's pure, and number two, it's undefiled. What do those two words mean? Well, they're cinnamons in the original language. And that means the first is emphasizing cleanliness. The second is denoting freedom from contamination from outside sources. James clearly recognizes the need for religion, but also a religion that is active, a religion that is real. Remember, as a teen, I was searching. I went to every church in our community, and I was hearing things, but I wasn't seeing people living what I was hearing. That was confusing to me. He's a Christian? I, 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 know, what he, I know where he goes. I know what he does, and there's a kid I go to school with, and boy, his life's no different than mine until I ran into the Baptist at the children's home. And those kids were different. The word of God had become a part of their life, and they were living the Bible on a a daily basis. That means when something happened in our athletic practice, they didn't get upset, storm off, and get angry. They seemed to handle it differently. And I said, they got something I
1: don't have.
0: And and they have the, the implanted word of God in their life. So we have these two synonyms here that we're to have this word that's pure and it's undefiled. In other words, it's for people to see that it has impacted our lives. Has the word of God impacted your life? Has it changed the way you behave? I I grew up with a brother who was an atheist. He would have nothing to do with religion. He was a very foul-mouthed individual. He, He was a very ungodly person, had gone through marriage after marriage. And... My brother rejected Christ. But. As I was pastoring in the Valparaiso area. I had an opportunity to. Minister to my own mom and dad. My dad was unsaved. My dad started coming to church because I was a pastor. He thought I ought to be there. He would sit in the back row. He'd sit like this. You know. But I was his son. And the scriptures started getting through to him and he would listen. And my dad came to a place where he trusted Christ as a savior. And then my mom came out of her shell and my mom began to live the Christian life. Now I have a mom and dad living for Christ. They're caring for my nephew. My nephew at the time was seven or eight years old. One of my deacons is discipling my dad. He's discipling my mom and my seven or eight year old nephew's there hearing all this. He gets saved. Well, he is a brother, in essence, to my older brother, who's an atheist. He'd been through so many marriages. He was home more than he was in in his own place. But he was living at home. My seven- or eight-year-old nephew's living there at the home with my brother, who's an atheist, and he began to witness to my brother. And he said to my brother one day, he said, Fred, he said, one day you're going to die. And he says, when I die... I'm going up there. He said, Fred, when you die, you're going down there. That got his attention. That woke him up. He thought, I don't want to go there. And Fred, 11 days before he died, he got electrocuted, ended up in the hospital. And my brother was in the hospital, and my assistant pastor got to him before I did. I walked into the room. My brother said to me, you're too late. I said, I'm too late for what? He said, you can't believe me to Christ as your assistant pastor just did. And my brother, who's an atheist, got saved. How do I know it was real? Because here's the testimony that the nurses told me about my brother. They said, your brother is one of the sweetest, kindest, persons we've ever met in our life. That was not my brother. Believe me, I grew up with him. But Christ made the difference in his life and see what kind of impact are we having on others as we minister to them. We see two things in this text that are vitally important to us. Notice what they are. Number one, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, I'm skipping over some other things that, uh, that, that are important, but, but I wanna to get to the point. Look at that word, visit, where it says, visit orphans and widows in their affliction, The word there, visit, is an important word, is the same word that's transferred translated overseer in first timothy 1 3 which is the responsibility of a pastor to be an overseer to care for his flock it's the same greek word so it not only means stopping and see how they're doing but it means rolling up our sleeves and getting involved in their lives we're to visit orphans and widows in their time of trouble or in their affliction that means something important to us. That means we need to be able to take our focus off ourselves. Uh, we need to take our focus off of ourselves and, and put it onto others. Very easy for us to care about ourselves, but God wants us to care about others. We need to think about others in their time of need and what they're going through. Stephen Cole in his commentary says, usually there are no payback when you care for widows and orphans. In that society, they were poor and not able to work. That means they couldn't give it back for you to take care of them. In in other words, widows and orphans are unable to reciprocate. They can't pay back. But God says care for them because so many people want to take advantage of them. True religion cares for those who are weak and those that are helpless. And that's where our ministry comes in with the Baptist Children's Home, to help these kids. I, I said in Sunday school that many of these kids are, are orphaned kids in, in overseas, and they have no family, they have no nothing. They live on the streets. Now, there are people that look after them, but they have other goals and reasons for looking after them, to use them for sex trafficking and other things, horrible things, getting involved in drugs. But we want to help them. We want to assist them. We want to show Christ to them the way that they showed Christ to me. So we need to care for the weak and we need to care for those that are less fortunate than ourselves. So my question is, an application, how active have you been in visiting and ministering in the lives of orphans and widows in their distress? Now, I'm not saying that to put, put you on a guilt trip. No, not at all. But yet... Do we care about others? Heard a great testimony this morning how you helped one of your own. Just little things we can do in our own congregation. And I'm sure if there's things that you want to do, you could talk to pastor, and I'm sure he's got some people who have some needs that you could get involved with. I heard about cleaning gutters and everything. You know, there's all kinds of different ways we can minister to people that not necessarily can reciprocate. But that shows that our religion is real. And we at BCH are, are concerned, uh, we're, we're concerned about those who can't help themselves. And that's why we're there, to be with them, protect them, to watch over them, provide home for them, provide protection for them. But we want to get them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our major concern. A believer then that is God-pleasing it is one who helps others in their time of need. So I trust you'll be looking for opportunities that you can minister to others, and we at BCH have tremendous opportunities to minister to others that have need. And, And there's one other aspect of that, and that is the second part is we need to keep ourselves unstained or unspotted from the world in which we live in. Here in the context, the word world means a world system a system of evil principles that go on in the world. And we get the world's philosophy all the time through listening to the news, through reading the material that's out there. We hear about the world's philosophy all the time. The only way we can counteract that activity, folks, is to be in the Word of God and know what God wants us to do. To be able to minister to other people. Again, I challenge you, be in the Word of God and study it. So my question is, are you daily... Washing yourself with the pure Word, water of the Word of God. I challenge you to be in the Word of God. If you're struggling in that area, I know Pastor, or others will help you in that area. Your Sunday school teacher will, will give you some help how to be in the Word of God every single day and how to study it for ourselves. Keep ourselves unstained or unspotted from the world. Two ways to know if our religion is really pure and undefiled by visiting ministry to orphans and widows in their time of need and then to keep ourselves unstained from the world. What a challenge for us. Two theological students were walking along a street in the Whitechapel district of London, England, a section where old and used clothing is sold. What a fill illustration all this makes, said one of the students as he pointed to a suit of clothes hanging on a rack On a window. And the sign said this. Slightly soiled. Greatly reduced in price. That's, he continued, we get soiled by gazing at vulgar pictures, by reading coarse books, by allowing ourselves little indulgence in the dishonest or lustful thoughts. And so when the time comes for our character to be appraised, we are greatly reduced in value. Just like the stained clothing. Our purity, our strength is gone. We're just part and parcel of the general shop-worn clothes of this world. You see, the point of the command that we have here is that we are to obey the Word of God. You can't obey unless you know what it says. We must be in the Word of God every single day. The two commands in James: 127 are real. They need to be obeyed by you and me, to take care of those less fortunate than ourselves and to keep ourselves unspotted in the world. How do we keep ourselves unspotted by this world again by being in God's word every single day? That's my challenge for 43 years as a pastor, after I was convicted personally to be in the Word of God every single day. And I, I know Joe, your former pastor, know him very well. Appreciate Joe House, Appreciate the ministry he's had here. Appreciate Pastor Dan and the emphasis he has. I know you've been taught well. But I challenge you, be in the word of God every single day. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3 says, You yourselves are epistle written on our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifested by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but on fleshly tables of our heart. What, what does that mean? Basically, it means this. The only Bible that some people may ever read is your life. Oh, that's scary, isn't it? But that was true for me. I saw the lives of the young people in the Baptist children's Home. And they were different. Christ was living through them. And that drew me to them. It drew me to a place where I needed to understand, what am I missing? What isn't there? And the answer was Jesus Christ. And maybe here this morning, and maybe you carry a Bible, maybe you even take time to read the Bible. Most people who have Bibles don't even take time to read the Bible. I didn't bring those statistics, statistics, I can't even say the word, Statistics with me, but they're they're huge. Just because we have it doesn't mean we read it and study it. So I challenge you to be in the Word of God every single day because the only Bible that some people may read is your life. My brother, an atheist, got saved because a seven-year-old boy had a change in his life. Being discipled with his grandma and grandpa got saved and was able to be a light to my brother's darkness. And he trusted Christ.
1: Someone has expressed this
0: very poetically. It says, the gospel is written a chapter a day by deeds that you do and by words that you say. Men, read what you say, whether faithless or true. What is the gospel according to you? Do they see Christ in your life? You see it lived on a daily basis. The only Bible that some people may read is your life. Be a witness for him. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning to be able to be in this pulpit. I thank you for the rich history that it has and will continue to have. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's not put their faith and trust in Christ, Maybe they even carry a Bible with them today, but have never really known the author of that book. That they might be convicted of that and come to know you today. To come and talk to someone, maybe somebody they came with this morning, or the pastor, or somebody else they know here in the church, and say, I need to know Christ as my Savior. I need to put my faith and trust in Him and Him alone. That they might take care of that today. And then for Christians that are here today, that our religion might be real. That people will see Christ in us by the way we act, the way we react to various situations, that they might see that you are real in our lives. Lord, I pray that we'll be convicted if we haven't been a very good testimony this past week. Maybe we did some things we're not proud of. Maybe we watched some things we shouldn't have watched. Maybe we listened to some things we shouldn't listen to. But Father, I, I'm thankful that you are faithful and just. To forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all sin and father i pray that as christians we might take care of those things and get right with you because people are watching us every single day they're watching our lives they're watching our reaction to thing and our actions to thing that we might show forth christ to you again by being a doer of the word obeying And by ministering to others in our lives, showing that our religion is real, and by protecting ourselves from being contaminated by the world we live in.
1: Thank you for the
0: cleansing of the word of God. I thank you for this opportunity this morning. I trust you'll challenge each one of us individually. I thank you in Jesus' name.